Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to the Classic Album Club podcast. In this episode, we revisit The Kinks' idiosyncratic masterpiece. The Kinks are the Village Green Preservation Society. A lot of the songs are about characters we grew up with. It was homage to our past, really, growing up. I felt more supportive of Ray. I think together we all had a kind of a unified kind of vibe about the thing more probably than with with Shell at the helm. At the time, it wasn't wasn't popular because it wasn't the modern trend at the time. Because you know, I was probably still you know, into psychedelia or something. And, but with time, it eventually people sort of rediscovered it. And, it's become popular again. We'll be hearing from songwriter and lead singer Ray Davis, his brother, guitarist Dave Davis, and drummer Mick Avery about the lasting impact the album continues to have. It's one of the top records of that period, made by the Kinks. We went on, when we got back to America eventually, we, we took a different turn in our music. But I think it summarises a point in our career very well. And... Uh, the tributes of the original band. Yeah, I think it was a, a, a good um, product at the time and it stood test of time. We just went where the, the music took us, really. It's kind of like a celebration of, of small. You know, we became so drawn into this mechanised age and robotic age and technology is mu- moving so fast, we think we can keep up with it, but can we? First, let's hear from Ray on how the tumultuous few years leading up to the recording of the album affected the band creatively and emotionally. Well, originally, I was my wit's end because we'd been banned in America. I would have liked to have gone and had a whale of a time, to tell you the truth, but I, I can't tell you the biggest market in the world and the music that inspired us. And being banned from playing there is really a lot to take on. And uh, we had lawsuits between our agents. And I wanted to make something beautiful out of all this, about places and people I cared about. I wanted to make something positive out over something at a bad time. We were written off as a band, really, at 68. We only had four singles in the charts that year, so we has been. American music was the source of our inspiration to begin with. And we had that denied because of the band. I never thought I'd tour America again, so I sort of lost myself in Britishness, tried to celebrate the music that, where I came from. So it was time to step back, and I, and I was getting old, I was 23, and I had a young family, you know, two daughters. Guitarist Dave Davis. We got banned from America, although it's a very productive time for the Kinks, studio-wise, and we were still doing shows and stuff. It was um, obviously tainted by the band from touring America. And um, Ray had these ideas, and we were very close that time, at that time. And I was actually glad to be back in England. So me kids, me family, and all that stuff. So it was a, it was a very warm kind of time. And the music, the songs Ray was writing were very um, family-ish. Because some of the characters were tossed around in Ray's imagination were based on people we knew and met, maybe family members that, uh, with different hairdo and different attitudes. Drummer Mick Avery. I think we took a, a, a different turn then. We used to work more together and in preparation, uh, uh, rehearse more and go through the songs and experiment and 
different feels and different sounds, etc. So we, you know, it was um, more involved, I think, yeah, by then, rather than just going in the studio and uh, doing it as quick as possible. Ray was thinking, I think, of uh, doing the album for himself, you know, doing it on that on that theme, Village Green theme. But um, when it came down to uh, what direction we were going in, that'd be nice, you know. Everyone agreed that's that was a good sentiment, you know. It's a bit of nostalgia, and uh, which he was writing about, you know, quite a lot then. And uh, but instead of separate songs, we did a. Yeah, a theme. So that that was probably the first theme uh, album we did. Yeah, we rehearsed it, and I think probably uh, the the band put a little bit more uh, of the uh, arrangement to it as well. You know, because we rehearsed and you know, Ray used to record us on a cassette just to see how um, how it sounded. You know, or rough idea on what we were good at playing together, and you know, so we we're um, bouncing off of each other a bit then. It was mainly Ray that uh, put the words and songs together, so it was um, something that was close to him and he found something that he could write about that was you know, interesting for him and uh, you know had a lot of good content in it because his words are very important and uh, that does get through to people, whereas something like You Really Got Me, they like it because of the sound and the urgency of it, but... Um, with um, something like a village green, it's like painting a picture. It's more of an artistic view of things. A lot of the songs are about characters we grew up with, you know, people in the neighbourhood, so Dave Fulkler. And Quaife as well, Pete Quaife is a Muscle Hill boy. It was an homage to our past, really, in, uh, growing up. The backstory of a lot of Kink's music is his family. I mean, it's not always apparent, but a lot of inspiration been been drawn from where we're from and how we grow up and the people that we met and the characters we met. So Ray's a very visual writer, as am I. You tend to see things forming like a film script and you get ideas and get a character and you start developing these characters. I think Village Green is very much like that. It's like being on a film set when you think of these people. Like Wicked Annabella, could have just been like a grouchy old lady that lived down the road who didn't like the kids going on their lawn. You know, it, like these characters grow into your imagination, so it's, it's very interesting time. But there was obviously that feeling uh, after or the explosion, the, the excitement of the 60s stuff from 60 two onwards it was like we were on the roller coaster ride all of a sudden the youth or the young people or the young musicians even were thinking in terms of like anything that's old goes embrace the future without really thinking about it well I think Village Green is very much about preserving ideas or keeping the good ones you know, throw out things that don't work, but keep the ones that do work and integrate it with what's coming out. I, I don't like to use the word nostalgia. It's more like time travel. Because I live in now, I'm past, present and future are all part of my life. What I just said is the past. And I always look for the, to be a wholeness. It's, everything's a now moment, very psychological. 
I, I refer to the past tense a lot. People take pictures of each other to prove they really existed, but they exist. It's the value of things like photographs with it in the age of iPhones, how cheap and the image is. From the start, it was clear that this album was going to be very different to anything the Kinks had previously released. Producer Shel Talmy had left, and instead of finding a replacement, Ray stepped in. Well, I didn't have a producer's hat. Uh, uh, we'd had a very, very good producer, Shel Talmy, who worked with us. The good thing about Shel, though, is he never imposed his own ideas. He just recorded what was there, and I tried to keep that same. I was adamant about certain things. Dave had a good expression for me whether he used it or not. I'm not a Ray's not a perfectionist. He doesn't doesn't know where to stop. So it never really thought to me just to be a producer. I just wanted it to sound the way I wanted it to sound. In a way, I thought it was. I felt more supportive of Ray. I think together we all had a kind of a unified kind of vibe about the thing more probably than with, with Shell at the helm. I mean, I love working with Shell anyway because it, it is nice to have someone just to vibe it up there, you know, if you feel a little unsure. Of course, it's always important to have those kind of people around you, but the music sounded very different, really, and very enjoyable and very... Very new in a way. It's kind of reflecting on, on loss, loss. And, yeah, we all go through those feelings. We have to move on, integrate what we have and our feelings and what's coming up. Because Ray's part of the band, he understood producers that not musicians that don't really always understand the playing point and they let things go sometimes that you're not really happy with and they go, that, that's all right, don't worry about that. But you do worry about it because, <laughs> you know, if it's a little fluff or something that you're not quite happy with, they want to move on. Once we broke the back of what, what I wanted, the back, we had a brief rehearsal at my house in the front room. And we went straight in. The, we didn't have the luxury of extensive studio time here. In a day, nine-hour day, we'd probably have to cut three or four tracks. So it's unheard of now. I think it's a band that's been through a tumultuous time for the past four years of their lives, going from nobodies to, you know, Mick Avery came to his audition dressed in his Boy Scout outfit. So it's a complete turnaround in their lives to becoming, playing massive auditoriums, to becoming, coming home and resting and thinking, where are we from? It's also a way of staying in touch with where we were from because it's quite heady times. The album is filled with a host of colourful characters, some of which came directly from the people around where they lived. Although they're very much Ray's songs, I think they're very infused with love and feelings for these characters that became real because we kind of knew who they were but didn't know who they were. Someone said to me, it was like being reintroduced to old family members. They exist in this sort of imaginary world. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful, very um, enjoyable album on, a, on many levels. Sometimes they change the names, but uh, yeah, a real story behind it. A lot of his songs are pointed at someone, you know, maybe a fictitious person or a, a real person that, with a name that is made up, or you know, like something like Lola as a character is seen, but it probably wasn't called Lola. It was, because yeah, Ray steered the ship because he wrote the songs, so 
whatever theme he could think of. And his brother-in-law went to uh, Australia, and um, you know we did this album called Arthur after after Village Green. You know that was about a person really, and the experiences of going going to Australia and. You know, all the things that went with it and leaving England. and Yeah, so that was really a theme. Johnny Thunders, uh, me and Ray got conflicting ideas of who, who it's based on. And of course, it's Ray's song, so it's based on the guy he thought about. But I had a different idea about it. There was a biker, a young guy who was a bit older than us. He was alone as this guy. He used to do this thing of showing, showing off... There's a uh, at the top of Muswell Hill. There's a roundabout. We used to call it the Pentagon. This guy, I can't remember his name, but uh, he used to ride on this roundabout really fast and trying to go faster than next. And story has it that one day his footrest got caught on the road and tumbled down Muswell Hill. But Ray's got, got a different view. But um, maybe there's two Johnny Thunders. I believe the song Wicked Annabella was recorded on the written... I changed the bridge at the last minute. That's the middle eight section. I wanted it to go to a jovial, hippity-hop type thing. Not hip-hop, but hippity-hop, jovial bridge. But instead, Dave was playing powerful guitar, and I wrote something on the spot which suited his guitar playing. Annabella is quite a devious seductress. I think it would be nice to sacrifice my brother to her. And he willingly accepts. The actual name Wicked Annabella conjures up all sort of musical ideas and it's kind of like really quite freely put together with some feedback and Bigsby arm and guitar and, and it was a lot of fun to play. And the bridge was great and I just loved singing it because it, it jumped into a slightly different key and... I was able to scream and shout it out, and I thought, I always thought Stevie Marriott would have done a great version of it. Yeah! As well as strong characters and themes, the album contained a host of different genres and styles. This is typified most by the album's centrepiece, Big Sky, which was written while Ray and the band were at the Medem Music Trade Fair in Cannes, France. It was written on the balcony of the Carlton Hotel, looking over the sea and the music biz hustlers below. I was in the middle of a lawsuit, and one publisher took me over as a kind of a, to d- display me in front of the other publishers. I've got him signed, sort of thing. But I look, Big Sky, it's the most religious song, and the one that I think really stood the test of time, the big riff, combined with a priest-like vocal. Well, the first time I heard Big Sky, we were rehearsing in Ray's front room we were practicing the vocal parts on the for the bridge one day we'll be free we won't care just you wait and see and um that really affected me when we got to do it in the studio i could barely sing it without crying and i thought well, i better not cry because that means i don't know how much time we got left in the studio <laughs> i have to redo it um it's very emotional and it's an epic, although it's it's recorded in a very low-key way. It's an epic idea. Musically, it takes a different shift emotionally and quietens down for thought to take, manifest itself. But, you know, it's, I think it's a really w- wonderful song. 
as I said, that bridge, and also there's, in all Kink's work, there's humour, accidental or deliberate, however you can get it, really. Because it's funny how humour kind of glues it together in some special little way. And I, I always thought, because Ray and I were really big fans of people like um, Bert Lancaster. He had a great way he talked and kind of raised was a good mimic. It's a good mimic of people like Bert Lancaster and all kinds of people, Charlton Aston and all these great, great influences. And the beginning of the, the vocal books ago, it's like right kind of mimics Bert Lancaster a little bit. And it gives it a flavour of both human, like we a private joke kind of vibe. You know. But all, it all goes towards making records. It's, it's, it's like a fantastic environment for self-expression. The Kinks are the Village Green Preservation Society, demonstrated Ray Davis' ability to paint colourful and vibrant pictures with his lyrics and his music. As a result, the band produced a work that would define an era in British rock and roll. Coming up in this episode of Classic Album Club. Success is in doing it. It destroys the creative vibe when you think, oh, blimey, people don't like it. What's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. You've done it, you've achieved it, and you move on. Criticism can be really cruel. I remember Kirsty came on stage with us when she sang days and we both cried on stage. How on rock and roll is that? It's an honour when people cover songs, you know, provided they add something of the, themselves to it, which Kirsty did. You know, we're trusting each other, so, you know, if, you know, if Dave, you know, plugs into a funny app and makes a noise, maybe he knows what he's doing. So me, me and Pete always had that trust that, We'll try it. So, um, Although the album is seen retrospectively as a classic work, at the time it wasn't a big seller. At the time, it wasn't wasn't popular because uh, it wasn't the modern trend at the time. You know, as I was probably still you know, into psychedelia or something. And, but with time, it eventually people sort of rediscovered it, and it's become popular again. If it hasn't got the immediate impact, it gets lost sometimes, you know. They're listening out for something that's currently yeah, popular, you know, and um, if it didn't, it didn't fit in that bracket, it it could get lost, you know. Ray would never go with a trend, and it want to go with the way his, his emotions took him, you know, and um, he's not, not one for following trends. We always make albums that are... Contrary, should call ourselves contrary kinks. <laughs> you think, well, you know, it's more special than I, I thought. You know, often when you look back and you play some of the old uh, tracks and, and they're really good, you know, you think, yeah, I wouldn't mind have been in that audience. You you try and do something as the best to the best of what you think it should be, you know, and then it's up to everybody else. And, but I think that success is in doing it. It destroys the creative vibe when you think, oh, blimey, people don't like it. What's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. You've done it, you've achieved it, and you move on. Criticism can be really cruel. I was disappointed. Again, the record company we were signed to, Pie Records, were like the equivalent to an indie label, and they wanted singles. And I wanted to, to deliver something about and a forgotten world, so it was um, it was strange, but it was victorious, victorious about 
the notoriety. In some ways, it's almost too personal for the world to listen to at that time. I remember when I made uh, Waterloo Sunset, I took it home and I said, I don't want anyone to hear it. Because it's my, my, my toy and I want to play with it. In America, they used the, the anti-Vietnam War movement picked up on it. That's where the God Save the Kinks campaign came in, reprise records. And uh, if it was nothing, at least it was our nothing. Despite being a commercial disappointment at the time, the Kinks' music from that era has rightly garnered a great deal of critical acclaim over the years, and some of the songs have taken on a life well beyond the album. We played, I used to call it the Forum, Kirsty McGall got up and sang those, and she was shaking. She said it was one of the most important events in her life. And I thought, tell me a song. But actually, it was wonderful, a wonderful uh, version of it. I remember Kirsty came on stage with us when she sang Days, and we both cried on stage. How on rock and roll is that? But her version, I think, produced by her then husband, Steve Lillywhite. It's a great version. It's an honour when people cover songs, you know provided they had something of the, themselves to it, which Kirsty did. Days, to me, always is out there on its own. It's like nothing else. And uh, I can't play it. I can't play it all. Too, it's too sad. And obviously there were times when um reminds me when Pete was going through a lot of emotional turmoil and he wanted out and he went peak wave. He wanted to leave the band. And um, I wasn't going to stand in his way. I always thought he knew what he was doing. It wasn't intended to say goodbye to Pete. It was like an epitaph. And um, about our friendship and camaraderie. Um, because nobody told us how to do what we did. It's a more adult song. I should have written it now, when I'm much older. It's quite a difficult song for a young person to write. The album Village Green proved to be something of a turning point for the Kinks, and soon after its release, bassist Pete Quaife and the band parted ways. You know, we're trusting each other. So, you know, if you know, if Dave, you know, plugs into a funny amp and makes a noise, maybe he knows what he's doing. So me, me and Pete always had that trust. That, well, try it. So um, I think you know what you're doing, don't you? So that was an important element for us in the beginning, having tr- the confidence and trust that you know what you're doing. I was a big, big, big P.Y. fan, and I thought if he, if that's what he wants, maybe he knows more than what we know. So let me do. We weren't done yet by long chalk, and um, maybe it, it's a good thing for him. How do we know till we do things? But it did affect me emotionally. And the kinks did change around about that time. We got keyboardists and we, for live playing, and uh, we were starting touring again in America, like with the Arthur album. And uh, we were lucky. We had a really solid fan base in America that loved what we were doing and our music. And uh, people liked it. It seemed real to them. It's a... Uh... Testament to the hard work and to the band. I think it's a band record. It's one of the best band records the Kinks made at that time. Going back to the being the last album the original band made, yes, it's kind of closure. It's drawing a line under various points in my life. Again, marriage difficulties, lawsuits, and I hate to bring it up, but lack of money and lack of income. 
because they couldn't tour in America. So, but draw a line, but turn it into a positive. You know, they can destroy my life, but they can't destroy my art. That's a very pompous thing to say, and I don't care. The album's nostalgic themes and quirky characters remain vivid and meaningful, and its legacy continues to resonate. Well, I think it's because it's very linked to our sense of well-being and survival. You know, maybe we've got these characters in our minds and hearts that we cherish and maybe make us feel better, even though they're flawed. And uh, it's usually because they're flawed. You know, we carry the past with us, whether we like it or not. And actually, most times, it's quite, quite good to have those sort of memories. Sometimes we have regrets. You know, but I think it's it's kind of like a celebration of, of small. You know, we became so drawn into this mechanised age and robotic age and technology is moving so fast, we think we can keep up with it, but can we? You know, and I think it's like a bit of a, a plea to, hang on, to slow down a bit. Maybe we've already got what we need. We just need to not be so immersed that we lose ourselves. You know, in our rush, rush to get nowhere, which we might do if we're careful, that we might forget where we came from or what we've already got. Some of the songs have got different parts to them rather than, you know, the normal sort of verses and chorus and bridge and more light and shade and, you know, you reflect on it and quite sort of uh, caringly, really, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a a, a good um, product at the time and it stood test of time. We just went with the the music took us really and it was always always progressing and going somewhere. I think because it sounds kind of it's an un-rock and roll word but honourable, there's kind of a samurai spirit to it (laughs) all die together and it engages on several levels Apart from having quirky singing about Desperate Dan, Donald Duck. There was a girl who had big lips who lived in the neighbourhood. We used to call her Donald Duck. So it's a, it's a childish childish forum but used to, to create honourable ideas. So it's that fine line between comedy and tragedy, which I quite like to, to walk the tightrope. It stands up as one of the top records of that period made by the Kinks. We went on, when we got back to America eventually, we we took a different turn in our music. I think it summarises a point in our career very well. And uh, it's a tribute to the original band. Our thanks to Ray Davis, Dave Davis and Mick Avery. I'm Mark Goodyear. You've been listening to Classic Album Club.